Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. You know, when I think about greed, one of the names that comes to mind is Jordan Belfort. Uh, in the 1980s, he and a bunch of his friends, they ran this big uh, investment scam. He would con people into investing their money with him in these stocks that were almost worthless. And rather than growing their wealth, he made himself and his buddies rich. Okay. Now, if you haven't heard of Jordan Belfort, you may have heard of the film that they made about his life called The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, Jordan Belfort was the Wolf of Wall Street. That's the title of the autobiography that he wrote while he was in jail. Now, nobody really knows how much this guy made because he spent so much of it. But at one point, they estimated in the 80s that he had had uh, about 93 million. Now, just pause there for a second. 93 million in 2022. Maybe that doesn't sound like a lot. But in 1987, 93 million was a fortune. That was a that was being that was filthy rich. He had ninety three million dollars. He had two mansions, a private jet, a helicopter, a fleet of sports cars. Uh, he had three horses apparently, and properties all over America. And in those days, here's some of the wisdom that Jordan Belfort shared for how to how to think of money. He said, "Money is the greatest single problem solver known to man." He also said. He also asks, was, was all of this legal, all these things we were doing, was all of this legal? Absolutely not. But we were making more money than we knew what to do with. In other words, the ends justify the means, don't they? He also said, I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. All right? I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Now, for the record, I don't recommend you go and watch The Wolf of Wall Street, okay? I actually personally have a pretty high tolerance for things like coarse language and violence and sexuality. I just couldn't get through it. Um, If there's a lesson in this guy's story, it's in spite of this guy. Like this is a case of being able to learn good truth and good lessons from a really bad example, okay? Sorry to sound so judgy. But this is a case of learning good truth and good lessons from a bad example. In fact, he illustrates something that Jesus said a number of times in his ministry, which is that you can't serve both God and money. That's what Jesus said. You can't serve both God and money. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll serve the one and you'll despise the other. And that's actually, that's a point that Jesus made uh, in a number of his parables, including the one that we will study today. We're going to be spending the summer studying the parables of Jesus. And we will each week take a different parable that Jesus told and we'll let it point us to God's kingdom. Like if like if we were to sort of set Jesus' kingdom side by side with the kingdom that we live in now and sort of compare the values of, of that world with the values of this world, you know, we would see some real differences, and that should really cause us to make some different choices in our day-to-day lives, don't you think? And so today, I've started, I've, I've chosen to get us started with one of my favorite parables. It's kind of obscure. It's kind of difficult. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. 
And we heard it read just a minute ago, but it's the parable of the dishonest manager. Some of your versions might call him the shrewd manager or the, the unjust steward. Now, so that's what, we're, that's what we'll be looking at today. But first, let's just take a minute and talk about parables. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about parables. Now, parables seem to be Jesus' favorite way to teach truth. And that's why you and I have heard of stories like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan and the fig tree and the ten virgins and the lost coin and the pearl of great price and the the sower and all and the rich man and Lazarus and lost sheep and on and on and on and on. We could go on and list dozens of parables because there are literally dozens of parables in scripture. You actually can't spend long in the teaching of Jesus without tripping over one of his parables. So what is a parable? Well, it's a short story, okay? A, a parable is a short story and, and it invites the listener to reflect on their life and, and reflect on who they are before God in light of God's kingdom and make the choice to follow Jesus. That's what a parable is. It's a story that does something in the listener by inviting them to choose to follow Jesus. It's usually got layers of truth, like it's kind of got the, the middle shelf layer of truth where there's something applicable maybe to money or family or marriage or something like that. But there's also a deeper layer of meaning about the kingdom and about the gospel. And that's what makes a, a parable unique, okay? There are lots of stories that we hear and share with each other. Lots of stories that teach, you know, a moral, that, that have a moral lesson to communicate. But most stories don't ask you to reorient your whole life around the storyteller. Okay, that's what a parable does. A parable is a short story that invites the listener to reorient his or her life around the storyteller. Well, today's parable is like that, okay? The, the, the parable of the shrewd manager, the dishonest manager, is, is a, a, a story that has truth that is layered, okay? It has implications for how we use money, if we kind of look at the middle shelf. But if we're paying attention and we dig a little bit deeper, we're going to realize it also challenges us to really reorient our lives around Jesus and his kingdom. It's going to really invite us to rethink who we are in light of the gospel. Now, why did Jesus speak in parables? Why did he choose to teach this way? You know, like, why not just tell people what to do? Why not just communicate the, the truth that he was trying to communicate? Well, because as a good rabbi, Jesus knows that his goal isn't, his goal wasn't merely to inform people. It's not, he's not, he wasn't just trying to educate people. He's trying to bring about obedience to God. And that's a very different aim, isn't it? That's why I like what Sinclair Ferguson said. Sinclair Ferguson is a Bible scholar uh, from Scotland, and he says that Jesus spoke in parables because he found it the best way to expose the true spiritual condition of those to whom he was preaching. So parables are not merely illustrations. In a sense, they are tests of where we are spiritually. Do you hear that? Parables are tests of where we are spiritually. And so in some ways, a parable is like Jesus is holding up a mirror and he's asking you to look into the mirror and say, where do you see yourself in this story? What do you, what do you see when you look at yourself in light of this story? Are you ready now to follow me? Are you ready? Are you really ready to follow me? 
Do you see? So, so parables don't just tell the truth. They show us the truth. And, and, and that's why Jesus used parables. So we're going to turn our attention now to this, to this parable of the shrewd manager. So if you would, just I'll invite you to come with me to Luke chapter 16. Because this parable is meant not just to tell, but to show one of Jesus' most quoted teachings, which is that you can't serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. That's what this parable is going to show us. So let's get into it. Let's first, in fact, let's get into it by meeting the characters. So let me introduce you, first of all, to the master. Okay, you need to know the master in the story. He's this, you were to imagine he's a wealthy landowner. He owns a great deal of property and resources. He's been incredibly successful. And so he's got lots of resources and lots of commodities to share with his debtors. So the second group, the second uh, group of people you're supposed to know are the debtors in the story. You might think of them as as clients, okay? They're his customers, and they borrow commodities from the master. All right, and the quantities that we're dealing with in this story suggests that we're talking uh, about small business owners. We're probably not talking about an individual farmer or his or his family. We're probably talking about people who are opening up small business small businesses and they're borrowing capital to get their businesses started. And so they borrow from the master, but he actually doesn't deal with them directly. You see, none of the debtors actually go directly to the debtor for, or none of the debtors go directly to the master. For that job, he has a manager or some versions use steward. So the, the, think, of the, think of the master as this guy's boss, okay? So the manager is the go-between. He goes between the debtors and the master. He's, he's authorized to, to you know, sign checks on behalf, on behalf of the master. He's authorized to do business on behalf of the master, to collect debts, and to make deals with the clients. And if he does a good job, the clients are well taken care of, people feel blessed by the master, and, and people prosper, and everybody's happy thanks to the master. But this manager hasn't done a good job, okay? In fact, as this story begins, what we read is that the manager was accused of wasting the master's possessions. Like, in other words, the debtors can't pay the master back, and they're going to default on their loans. The master is, is going to lose a lot of money, and it's the manager's fault, Okay, so what happens? Well, in verse two, the master calls the manager in to like into his office. It's like he's going to do a performance review, and the manager is going to be fired. We need to understand the man, the manager is fired, and the, and and as the master explains that, the manager thinks to himself in verse three, "Well, what shall I do now? I can't dig, and I'm too proud to beg. Like, oh my goodness, I'm not only am I going to be unemployed, but I'm going to be unemployed." And dependent in a town where all of my neighbors are the very people that I ripped off. And I'm going to be an outcast. I will have no friends. No one's going to invite me over to their homes. Well, what happens? Well, the, the manager comes up with a plan. And it's a plan that's going to serve the clients. And it's going to repay the master. And it's going to protect himself. It's actually quite ingenious. It's, it's very clever. And it works. In fact, after the manager does his thing, uh, in verse 8, Jesus praises him, okay? He, he's, he is praised for the solution that he came up with. And, you, and you're like, really? Jesus commends him? That this dishonest manager is commended? Well, yeah. 
Yeah, he is. In fact, you can think of this as another example of learning good truth or learning a good lesson from the life of a bad example. Okay, learning a good lesson from a bad example. In fact, I think there's three things we want to observe about the manager early on. Okay, let's observe three things about the manager. First, let's observe that he is greedy. Make no mistake, he is greedy. And we know that he's greedy because if we do a bit of digging, we find that what he has done is he's actually tacked a bunch of interest onto the debts of the debtors. Now, kids, you may not know what interest is, but if in case you don't know, uh, here's how interest works. Okay, let's say uh, Ava, Ava and a friend are out for a walk uh, around town and they see uh, a bicycle for sale on somebody's lawn. And there's a sign that says, yours, $10. Okay, as, as Ava checks it out, it's this, like it's in perfect condition. It's a 12 speed. It's got LED headlights and taillights and it's got trigger gears, gel seat, amazing bike. And for 10 bucks, like that's a really good deal, right? The problem is Ava doesn't happen to have any cash on her, but her friend does. Now, one choice is that Ava goes home and asks her mom and dad to come back and, and pay for the bike so she can take it home. Now, if she does that, well, she risks that by the time she gets back to pick up the bike, it's going to be gone because somebody else will have purchased it. But another choice is that Ava might say to her friend, hey, would you loan me the $10? And that friend might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to loan money. We're, I mean, we're friends and money makes things complicated between friends. But what Ava could do is she could say, I'll tell you what. You can you lend me the $10 and I promise that I'll pay you back with 50% interest. So 50% of $10 is $5. And so by the time it's all said and done, Ava's going to have her bike and her friend is going to have the $10 back plus $5 interest. Her friend is going to have $15 in her pocket. So Ava's got her bike, her friend's got $15 in her, in her pocket. That's how interest works. And, and it was the same back in Jesus' day. But then, sometimes people used to uh, take advantage of each other and get rich by charging ridiculous amounts of interest. Like if you were starting a small business in those days, you'd expect to pay some interest on the loan that you got to get started. And you would hope that you would have a, a generous master who isn't going to charge you too much interest. The problem is that in this parable, you don't see the master. You don't deal with the master. You deal with his manager. He's the go-between. And the manager is not generous. He's greedy. So suppose you need oil for your perfume business, okay? Well, oil is an expensive commodity. And, and, and so a greedy manager is going to charge about 100% interest. So say you borrow 450 jugs of oil... At 100% interest, that's another 450 jugs. So you owe now, you now owe 900 jugs total, and half of that is going to go to the manager. Or suppose you need to borrow uh, wheat because you want to start a bakery. Well, wheat is a more common resource, and so a manager isn't going to charge 100% interest. He might only charge 25%. Still, though, if you... Let's say you need 800 bushels of wheat to get your business started. Well, if you borrow that much wheat at 25% interest, that's 200 more bushels of wheat that go to the manager. Now you owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. 
and 200 of them are going to go to the manager. In other words, the manager gets filthy rich. The clients become poor, but the whole system works because that's just how it is. Nobody would think of going directly to the master. Everybody just assumes that this is the master's will, that this is how he's set it up. And, and it's not. Because come back with me to the text. The master's angry about it. He's like, what's this I hear? Nobody can afford to pay me back 900 gallons of oil. Nobody can pay me back a thousand bushels of wheat. Thanks to you, I'm getting nothing. You are fired. And, he, and, and, he, and before the manager uh, kind of hands in his keys, he visits the clients. And in verse 6, he has a meeting with the olive uh, debtor and he forgives this guy for half of his olive debt. Do you see that in verse 6? And in verse 7, he has a meeting with the guy who owes the master some wheat. And he sits down and with this debtor, he forgives a quarter of this guy's wheat debt. And it appears that what the manager has done is he's forgiven all of the interest. He's forfeited his share. And the portion of the debt that he had added to the principal, he has taken that amount of interest and he's forgiven the interest so that the clients can give the master just what they owe the master. It's a desperate move. It's a shrewd, clever move. And the master commends him for it. Okay? He's commended for it. But now it shouldn't have been necessary. This whole mess is a, is a result of the manager's greed. Right? And if we just pause here for a second, I think he's probably not alone. You know, I, I think there's a lot of us who, who our greed has gotten us into some kind of trouble. Isn't that true? Let's learn from his greed. Okay. A second thing to notice about the manager is he's actually a lawbreaker. He is a, a, a lawbreaker. Now, what do I mean? I, and what I mean is that according to Old Testament law, Israelites aren't even allowed to charge each other interest. God tells them so in, in a number of places in the Old Testament, but in Exodus 22, 25, we read that God saying to his people, if you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. Like that's pretty plain. You must not charge interest. In other words, Israel is supposed to be different. They're not supposed to profit off of one another's misfortune and financial suffering. They don't charge each other's they don't charge each other interest. They love each other. They help each other. They invest in one another. And Jesus' audience knew this. They knew that the manager had no right to charge interest in the first place. He's clearly to them, he's clearly a lawbreaker. Well, one more important thing to observe about the manager is he's actually like really bad at his job. He's a bad manager. Think of it this way. A manager has one job, okay? It's to represent his master well. It's to not make the master look bad. Okay, because people don't go to the master. They go through the manager. The manager is a representative of the master. If you do your job well, the master looks good, right? If you do your job well, people love the master and they thank the master. But if the manager is bad, if he does a bad job, people learn to fear the master. They learn to distrust him and to reject him. People will, will reject the master because of the conduct of the manager. Do you see? 
And here, I think we're actually near the bottom of the parable. We're near the most sort of fundamental point and meaning of this parable. In fact, let's notice that Jesus ends this parable by turning his attention to the Pharisees. Now, we've learned a little bit about the Pharisees lately, haven't we? And in verse 14, we read, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this. They heard Jesus' parable, and they were sneering at Jesus. And so he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now, I think that's really important. That's kind of, that's the key that we need for understanding what it is that Jesus means to show us. We need to see they are the unjust stewards. They're the ones who think that they can serve God and money. They're the ones who think that they can serve two masters. And anybody who follows the example of the Pharisees is going to blow it. All right? If you follow the example of the Pharisees, you're going to blow it with money. And so again, we're learning good truth from a bad example. And let's put the way of Jesus side by side with the way of the Pharisees. And we'll, what we'll do as we what, what will happen as we do that is we're going to see that there are some lessons Jesus means to show us. Like imagine that we're the managers in the story. If we put the way of Jesus side by side with the way of the Pharisees, we learn, first of all, about the power of money. We learn about the power of money. The, the Pharisees, they're like the greedy, unjust stewards. They used money to enrich themselves and to you know, maximize their pleasure in this world. Jesus says in verse 9, no, no, no. You're to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, if that sounds weird, just th- think about that for a minute, okay? Imagine using money in such a way that you gather friends for yourselves. Imagine using money in such a way that when you go to be with Jesus at the end of your life, you are greeted there by somebody who comes up to you and says, Hey, you don't know me, but you gave generously to your church and they introduced me to Jesus. Thank you. Or you meet somebody who says, hey, you don't know me, but I asked you for spare change once. I was sitting outside of Walmart and you passed me by. And just before you did, I, I asked you for some spare change. And you said, you, you said, no, but I'll buy you a meal instead. And you did. You came out and you bought me some food and that changed my mind about, about Christians. Or imagine getting to the kingdom and meeting somebody who says, hey, you may not remember me, but we were neighbors. I lived down the street from you. Or we were co-workers. I worked in, a, I worked in the office down the hall and we, you didn't know me super well, but you took a chance and you invited me to your faith family dinner once. And that actually changed how I think of the church. And it set me on a whole new path that I never expected to be on. And I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for taking that risk and welcoming me into your faith family. And, and, and because of that now, I'm here and I'm here to welcome you into Jesus' kingdom. And so there's a lesson here about the power of money, isn't there? Like how we use money in this world can have a big impact on what happens in the kingdom and who ends up there. Isn't that amazing? Well, there's also a lesson here about the point of money. 
okay? There's a lesson about the power of money, but also the purpose of money, the point of money. See, the Pharisees think of money as something that to be collected and hoarded and, and, and accumulated. Like the more of it that you have, the better. But that's not what money is for. Jesus says in verses 10 and 11, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. But whoever can't be trusted with very little cannot be trusted with with much. And what they have will be taken away. Like, we're to look at God's gifts to us. Things like wealth and his possessions and his the, the home that we live in and the cars that we drive, the vacations that we are able to spend money on. We recognize these are gifts from God and we are not entitled to any of it. These have been entrusted to us. These all belong to God. He's entrusted it to us as though we are managers, like it's on loan. And so there's a lesson here about the point of money, isn't there? God gives us money and all these other gifts, not for our own purposes, not for our own uh, glory, but for his. Well, there's a third lesson here. It's about the danger of money. There's a lesson about the power of money and the point of money and also the danger of money. In some ways, I think greed is a unique sin in the sense that the people who are greedy don't really tend to think that they're greedy. I mean, it's not like sins, greed isn't like sins like murder or adultery in the sense that, you know, if you're guilty of murder, if you're guilty of adultery, there's not really any debate about that. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you can't really explain that away. You can't really justify that. But greedy people don't think that they are greedy. They think that they're entitled and they justify it. Well, in the same way, the Pharisees think that God is their master, but they're wrong. And their lives are actually completely oriented around money and that they, they think that they have the right to be rich and powerful. And so they justify it. And Jesus says in verse 15, that what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Like you're the people who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. And then you know what? In this world, we look at people like the Wolf of Wall Street and we envy them. We look at the rich and the powerful and we envy them. In a sense, we're all trying to serve two masters. And Jesus gives us this parable to ask us, hey, how's that going for you? Like what, what kind of fruit is that bearing in your life? Are, are you free? Because, you know, God doesn't care how much money you have. God doesn't value a lot of the things that we do. And we spend a lot of time trying to justify things that are unjustifiable. And it's like, God doesn't value that stuff. And so there's a lesson in here, right, about the danger of, of money. That, that those greedy people that we idolize, they're not as free as maybe we think that they are. In fact... The freest person who ever lived was Jesus. And you know, he never owned anything. He didn't own anything. Now, does that mean that God wants us to be poor? No, I think that that's an important question. And the answer is no. I don't think that this means God wants us to be poor. In fact, I think that many poor people are just as greedy. I think in the kingdom, it's not, it's, it's, it's not so much that we hate money. It's not that we want nothing to do with money. It's that in the kingdom, we know that money makes for a lousy God. Money is a lousy savior, okay? We, it's that we, in the kingdom, God is our hope. 
God is our hope. In the kingdom, there is no greed. There is no poverty or crime or fraud. Because in his kingdom, we are, we are mastered by someone who is good and glorious and generous. And he is so much better than anything that money can buy. And so we know in the kingdom that money is not a problem solver. We know in the kingdom that we don't solve our problems by becoming rich. You see, in this parable, we we look into the mirror and, and we should ask the questions that the parable asks us. Like, what kind of managers will we be? Will we manage God's resources any better than the Pharisees did? And, and and where will we invest our wealth? For whom will we invest our wealth? Are we going to be faithful with what God has entrusted us? And does, does the way that we use money show that our master is God? Or does the way that we use our money show that our master is money? So, you know, we could actually stop there and, and we'll have learned some really important lessons about money because Jesus' point is is clear now. You really can't serve two masters. You really can't serve both God and money. But as I said earlier, parables have layers of meaning, don't they? And this one's no different. Now, I don't want us to miss this. Imagine now that you're not the manager in the story anymore, but imagine that Jesus is speaking to us uh, as the debtors in the story. We're not the managers anymore, but imagine ourselves as the debtors And as the parable ends, you know, the master has commended the unjust steward. The unjust steward has gone to some lengths to make things right. But, you know, he's still fired. And so all these debtors now, you and I, we have nobody to help us with our debt. You see, if we put ourselves in the parable, we have no one to go before us to the master. You see, if we're the debtors, we we now have nobody to go before the master on our behalf. And if and so in that sense the parable isn't actually mainly about greed after all. I mean it's not less it's not about less than greed, it's, but it's about much more than greed. Because we read this parable and we know that we are surrounded by greedy managers. We live in a world of greedy managers and unjust stewards and they are unfaithful and they are wolves and we know that we need someone to plead our case before the master but it can't be them it can't be them and we're all trying to serve two masters too we are and so it can't be us and what we need is someone who's generous and selfless and we need a manager who is faithful Somebody who isn't mastered by money and isn't deceived or tempted by it and isn't trying to serve two masters. And you know, we have such a manager. We have such a manager in in Jesus himself. He is the just steward. He is our honest manager. And Jesus was never distracted by money or sex or fame or achievement or any of the other things that we make idols out of. You know, his whole life... Jesus was only ever mastered by God. He doesn't just he doesn't just represent the master. He doesn't just tell us what God is like. He perfectly shows us what God is like. And he doesn't he doesn't add to our debts. He doesn't increase our debts with interest that he selfishly collects. He forgives 
our debts. He completely forgives them by dying on the cross in our place. And, and, and not just a portion of the debt, but the whole thing. The whole debt is wiped out. And that's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel. Just when we realize that our, all our lives, we've been trying to serve two masters. We've been trying to serve both God and money. And just when we realize we envy people who serve two masters, along comes Jesus and he forgives us and he heals us and he shows us how rich we really are in him. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.